Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place, so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 405 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Sunday, November 20th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's going. Long time, no, uh, long time no talk. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. And uh, I actually had something planned for Friday. Uh, I'm, Eno and I weren't going to go, but I had something planned. It actually fell through, so I apologize for the delay uh, globally as well. We haven't had a pod since Tuesday, but we should be good to go. Obviously, we're doing this one, then we should have two or three next week, because I think that that guest uh, will be able to reschedule, and then we can just add it into next week. But uh, we got plenty to talk about. Uh, even though it is light, uh, there's been some news. Uh, that's kind of the uh, the upshot of, of taking taking a pod off, is that some of the news does collect. So we actually have a few moves to discuss, and then I think uh, we're going to talk about a few hitters that have had bad seasons. And you know, you and I are not averse to kind of betting on that rebound i think matthew barry called it a good guy off of a bad season was his nickname for it you know it's it it's it's not a particularly um unknown strategy but i do think it is difficult for some folks to buy in because you see that recency bias really does kick in you see the awful most recent season and you know if they're of a certain age you start thinking well is this gonna be the beginning of the end and you don't want to get caught left holding the hot potato so we'll we'll discuss a few guys like that but we're gonna lead off with our question of the day and it is directed 100% toward you so that we can get our, our, our weekly fill of Tampa Bay talk in. But I think it's pertinent as well. Should the Tampa Bay Rays look to sell pieces like Logan Forsythe, Evan Longoria, and maybe even a starting pitcher or two, Jason? How do you feel they should tackle their offseason here? 
So I'm always willing to listen um, to stuff. I, I would say yes, they should, because if you look at the way the market is shaking out to be a seller's market, uh, you know, free agents are pretty much non-existent at this point. It's just really a poor market. Uh, mm-hmm. If somebody's looking to improve their team, it's pro- probably going to have to be through the trade uh, capacity. So, I, I yeah, I'd be willing to listen. I saw something today where the Dodgers are are, are interested in Logan Forsythe. And yes, now, and that's what's that's what spurred yeah, me here. Well, that's now two second basemen uh, they've been interested in. So that's Kinsler and Forsythe in the last mm-hmm. week. So where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, perhaps something, maybe something happens there. But that's now the second time they've been tied to a second baseman. But I yeah, I would listen because you know obviously we talked about it a few times last year that talent gap they had. Yeah, you know, the last year they thought they were a contending team, which is why they uh, did the deal that's going to cause them more pain uh, in history than Buster Posey. Uh, yeah, that's that's why they decided to trade Trey Turner and Joe Ross in that three way and not just take them in return for uh, Will for Myers. Will Myers was yeah. because they thought they had a competitive team last year. Everybody gets hurt, the team falls apart, and there's no depth. So that's why yeah, they won sixty eight ninety four. They thought Souza would be ready to contribute right away on a team that was competing, a full-time outfielder with, uh, you know, solid defense, quality offense. Uh, that, that was the plan, at least. And obviously it didn't pan out that way. I feel like we've also seen the Dodgers kind of loosely rumored in the past. I think it was in season for like a Chris Archer as well. So it got me thinking similarly to the way I thought about, uh, with my Tigers that like, Hey, Ian Kinsler, and Justin Verlander would be a fit out there, and then you can make a really big deal. Um, is that something that that you'd like to see them do? If if they were going to make a move, would you want to see a super deal, especially with a system like the Blue Jays, or excuse me, like the Dodgers? Uh, a couple key pieces of which we saw out in Arizona: Cody Bellinger, Willie Calhoun. They'd have to be on the table for something like like that if you were going to talk Archer and uh, and Forsythe, even a Forsythe. Odorizzi, I think, would be able to to get a pretty substantial return. Or would you rather just see, okay, maybe a little bit of a smaller deal with Forsyth going for for maybe one notable piece and then a, a another smaller piece or two? Really, on the small side, I mean, if you're going to blow it up, blow it up big. But I mean, if you look at the way the the way the team could shake out, if they thought last year's team was competitive and they've cut some of the cut some of the dead weight off it um, mm-hmm. already, and they could perhaps enhance it. You know, my uh, my writing partner at theprocessreport.net, uh, Jason Hanselman, wrote together a very lengthy blueprint. If, if you are uh, an AL-only player or you, know, you want to look at – you're looking at the fringe type of players, but part of his thing was like, okay, you've got the base here. Um, you know, look back to bring Steve Pierce back, which is rumored to be happening. We saw that. Right? Yep, we saw that. Um, and Rajai Davis, who the team wanted a couple of years ago when he went to your Detroit Tigers on that two twelve deal. Um, Jason Castro, which they've also been rumored to get, and then you can like put the pieces together and say, okay, maybe there's something here. You, you you've got the the full year of Blake Snell. You got guys like Jake Bowers um, down on the on the farm that could contribute at some point. So there's some pieces there. Um, I, I do think at a minimum one of the starting pitchers goes because, again, the starting pitch market is, is non-existent. And if somebody it's wants insane. something, that you can do it. They could trade a Smiley. They could trade an Odorizzi. Mm-hmm. I prefer not to trade Archer, but you do one of those. And you've got Matt Andreese you could put in the five uh, if you want to go that way. Then you've got you know down at the farm, you could bring uh, Jacob Faria at some point, hey. uh, do some things like that. We saw Brent Honeywell. Uh, re- really shine in the Arizona Fall League, particularly in the Rising Stars game. He might not be somebody that's necessarily looking to break camp with the club, but on the trajectory that we've already seen for Honeywell, 
he could go down to AAA. I, where he hasn't pitched a AAA yet. He had a, a high A, double right. A season this year, which was excellent. But if he goes, has two big months in AAA, all of a sudden they can start looking at maybe bring. Now they they slow roast. We know that. We talk about that a lot. They slow roast their guys, so I wouldn't necessarily bet on it uh, with Honeywell this year. But again, that is some depth that they have. This is a, this is a bona fide top. 50 prospect well, i would say not yeah. e- not even just top 100 well a note on honeywell it's something that you know, something to keep in mind you know the rays have been very they got a track record of like 20 percent year over year with these guys and as far as workload 2015 he went 130.1 innings and then this past season between high a double a and what we saw at the uh in the afl we're looking at it about the same so he went straight across so let's say Let's say he may, maybe he's good for even if they do slow bake him, you know, maybe he's good for 160 innings across AAA in the majors. So mm-hmm. I could see him being on like, hey, five innings, you're out. Five innings, you're out. Five innings, you're out. Um, if the team's competitive early, maybe they pull him up early. But look at what Snell. I mean, Snell was doing amazing last year in the minors, and they waited and, and waited and exactly. waited and waited. So it's, so it's that, like that, every year we always say, thing. this is going to be the guy they call up. No, it's not. It's not. It's never, it's, they, it never has been. They, they just always don't. And, and let's be honest, it's not like Snell – was necessarily ready. He came up and walked five batters per game. Like he showed some flashes. I'm actually quite excited about Snell. I think we could see a developmental step uh, in in 2017. Probably more of a, a 2018 and beyond sort of guy. But I, I will be taking a, f- a few flyers on him this year. But it's not like he came up and instantly dominated. Remember, we were calling for Matt Moore to come up, come up, come up. He had that first year where it's like, okay, he started to show some things, but then he regressed. Like. They seem to know their guys better better than than we the general public do. Uh, so you know, I'll, I'll trust them on that. Uh, Honeywell's not the answer if they trade off guys. More of a Matt Andres, like you're saying, Erasmo Ramirez, I think is still under control. And, Chase Whitley uh, still in the you know that's yeah, somebody that, they that, brought back. That's someone so. they took a chance on uh, yeah. coming back from from Tommy John. He showed he showed a few things in in New York. I think Eno actually uh, was pretty interested in, in what he was able to do. If if Chase Whitley could keep the ball in the park with some consistency, I think there's uh, I think there's possibly something there too. So I think the Rays will be active. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they go, whether it is more of a piece here, piece there, even the, even while they're bringing in other guys uh, like a, uh, Steve Pierce, or if they go for more of the blow up and they say, okay, these four or five guys need to be moved to completely revamp the system. We'll see how it goes. But let's talk about a few moves that have taken place. And uh, the Houston Astros have been particularly active. They went with a bam, bam, double move on, on the same day, trading for Brian McCann and signing Josh Reddick. Not really going to get into what they traded for McCann because they're just not impact prospects. And maybe some of you folks in dynasty leagues are interested. I think Albert Abreu, yeah, Albert Abreu and Jorge Guzman. I'm not even going to front. I know nothing of either of them, but anything I've read suggests that they weren't exactly uh, knocking down the door uh, of top 100 prospect lists. So we'll see what, what becomes of them. Um, I feel like the reason that those returns were a little bit lesser is because the Yankees are only going to pay five and a half mil of the 17 mil that uh, McCann is set to make for the next two years of his deal. So Houston said, hey, we'll pay more of it, but we're not going to give you, you know, the stud prospects. Let's talk about Houston getting these guys. Let's start with McCann, then we'll get over to Reddick. What do you think of uh, Brian McCann in Houston? 
I'm a bit worried because so many of his home runs came in Yankee Stadium uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, at, at an abnormal percentage of his home runs. Uh, off the top of my head, I want to say it's something like 85%. Uh, look for you. Let's but see it, it's heavy. Uh, it, it's quite heavy. But I think that the, the, the nice benefit of this is if McCann catches his traditional workload, that means – well, there's a there's a positive and negative to this. If he if he does his traditional workload, then you can leave Evan Gaddis as full time DH, and Evan Gaddis could have bigger power. But given Evan Gaddis's issues issues against right handed pitching over the years, while he gets his home runs, it takes a hit into his batting average. So we saw some gains last year for him, where I mean, two fifty six something. He was right around league average last year. If you give him six hundred plate appearances, he may be two thirty five, two thirty as he was in 2015. I mean, he, he actually hit more home runs last year it, with fewer plate appearances than he did in 2015 when he had more playing time. Um, so that, that's kind of the give and take. It's like, great, you know, Gattis, he, he's still catcher eligible at draft day. Uh, and that. Not, but I think overall this move knocks down McCann and is a wash for, Gattis, for Gattis, the other player affected okay. this. Okay. Um, it's, it was 60% uh, in his two years with, with uh, New York. Actually, hang on. There's a third year. I missed that uh, he was also – man, it, did not, it has not felt like Brian McCann has been there that long, and I think that that's, that's really going to change the number here because I was looking at the last two years. It was 60%, but then that first year was a, a, a 19-4 to 4 split. There so let me, let, me, uh, let me update that, and all of a sudden now we're talking uh, – let's see here. Okay, now we're talking 67%, so two-thirds of his homers. It was 19-4 to four home away split for his homers in 14, 11, 9, and 15, and then 16, 10 this year. So he only had the one year where it was kind of even. The other two years heavily skewed toward New York for McCann. And Minute Maid isn't necessarily like a hitter's haven. It's kind of a neutral, uh, and if it is going to benefit, it's going to benefit a righty, not a lefty, with the Crawford boxes out there. Yeah, but then we have center field being redone, so that hopefully, but that's not not McCann's game. I mean, he's still more right center to right field, Um, but we'll we'll see how the field dimensions play out this year with center field being redone out there. Well, let's talk about that abomination. They got it. They got another. That's another lefty. Uh, Reddick is a guy who looks like a, a a strong side platoon guy, and that's all right. It sounds like a, a negative thing. That's a two thirds sort of player, though. That's not necessarily the end of the world uh, if you quote unquote only uh, have a guy playing two thirds of the time. He's a quality defender. He rips righties. He's like an eight fifty OPS guy against righties pretty consistently. He was signed to uh, let's see what was it twelve mil per year, four year fifty two million dollar deal. So you took it. You're talking about. 13 mil per year. I don't think that's too bad of a deal. I, I've always liked Josh Reddick. Health has always been a concern because of the, I think, part of the uh, the quality defense. Some of the risk that you get there is his playing all out. I remember one time he slid into a wall. I actually think it was in Houston. Um, and he slid into like a metal railing and messed himself up for a good while the rest of the way. That's really been the issue. I know he, you know, he hit the 32 homers in 2012, did Reddick, and he hasn't really come close to that since. That's fine. I'm not, I don't think you should put that on him as an expectation because he hasn't really played enough to to do that since. It's been 114, 109, 149, and 115 games in the four years since for Redick. But he's been an an above-average batter from an OPS-plus standpoint in every year but 2013. Mm -hmm. 
again, if you if you manage him well, you put Marisnik in against lefties and you let uh, Redick play against righties. Now they would switch. It would be Redick and right, uh, and then Marisnik would go to center and Springer back to right probably uh, right. if you were going to work that platoon. But I think this was a solid move. What did you think about Josh Redick in Houston? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you can you can clearly see that the the Astros wanted to get some left-handed bats into this lineup. Springer, Bregman, Altuve, uh, Correa, Gaddis, Gurriel, all righties. They had to go get some lefties. So to get to add these two lefties really helps put some balance to that lineup. And even if you want to do a platoon situation, hell, you could put Aoki in a platoon there because Aoki is actually good against lefties. That's true uh, for his career. Uh, Last year didn't yeah. play out too well. He's one of those guys because he puts that that foot in the bucket when he swings. He's actually good against lefties. Now his defense is getting pretty bad over the years. But so Marisnik and and Hernandez would be the better straight platoon play. Well, but, you yeah, throw him in left. You throw Aoki in left. And you adjust that way again. The Crawford boxes gives you a little bit less of uh, of a landscape to have to cover there. But that is a good call. And I know I cite I cite the game a lot as as parts where I glean little bits of information from. But he has a Aoki has huge ratings against lefties on the MLB The Show, and that's and it's always interesting because he is a lefty. So you go lefty lefty with uh, with huge contact ability. 308 batting average for his career against lefties. Don't usually cite batting average, but we know he's a low, you know, this is a no power sort of guy. Elke, you're not, not looking, you're looking for base knocks. So the fact that he hits 308 against lefties is more pertinent than the fact that he's got a 380 slug. Um, I do like the on base ability too. He's actually shown to, to be able to draw walks throughout his career. He does have a, a 204, or excuse me, 205 walk to 214 strikeout, uh, ratio for his career. So that's, that's almost one to one. That's pretty good. So there could be one last kick here uh, for Aoki, who was picked up off of waivers. This will actually be his fifth team in as many seasons from Milwaukee to KC to San Francisco to Seattle. Let's see if uh, finally getting back into a hitter's hitter's or close to, like I said, it's more more neutral, but maybe a little bit hitter favor. Um, certainly much better than Seattle, San Francisco, and KC have been. So maybe that'll work out for Aoki as well. I could see him. If he starts running again, and that's a huge if, he was seven for sixteen on the bases this past season. If if he starts running again, I could see him as a dollar or two guy in an AL only. Yeah, uh, right. do we? Uh, you know, because I didn't catch earlier. If we stick with the Astros, did y'all talk about ground chuck? I didn't go to the Houston Astros as well. Oh no, I don't think we did. I think that that actually happened again because I think we he and I recorded on Tuesday, and so it, it, it's it's been a decent bit of time. I kind of like that move, too. I feel like they had a really good week. Ground Chuck, of course, is Charlie Morton, which is a great name, obviously, because uh, you know his name's Chuck, but a huge ground ball guy. And another one of these moves that they kind of discovered based on spin rate. That's where they discovered McHugh, and, they, and they've gotten some, some quality work out of him over the years. He hasn't been as good as that sub-three season since, but from a real baseball standpoint, he's been a quality innings eater type. Charlie Morton, health has always been the problem, but I, I, I like taking this shot here. He's got some decent stuff. And before, I think, what, he ripped his groin last year, was it? Uh, yeah. I don't know if it was hitting or, or fielding, but he was out after four starts. No, I believe it was hitting. If there is some, I think it was too, because obviously that would have enraged both of us. And I'm sure you can find tweets where we, we got upset about it. If there, it's only four starts, 17 innings. I don't want to go too crazy, but if there's some realness to what we saw in that, there was a, there was a big spike in swinging strike rate for, for Morton 
and uh, it didn't cost him any of his uh, of his ground ball capability. So if he's also getting more strikeouts now and still keeping the ball on the ground, that could serve him really well. He's a 33-year-old, does not have an amazing track record that you really want to bet on, particularly because of the health. But I could see him developing, again, being more of a, a $1, $2 guy in AL only, but someone to keep on your radar. What would you want to say about Morton in Houston? The thing I want to uh... – to watch with with Morton is I want to see what he comes to camp with because one of the things that's always held him back, he can't get lefties out. You look at his career splits, and let's just look at weighted on base average. First righties, 295. First lefties, 375. That's for career. Good I mean, if you want to go, If you want to go batting, just simple batting average, 243 lefties, I mean, 243 righties, 301 against the – Against the lefties, so that's you know, he needs a pitch. I mean, right now you know he's got the sinker because that's how he gets his ground balls, and he's got the high spin rate curve. Is something else? Does he is is, is he going to throw a cutter in camp? Is there are they going to add something? But he needs that pitch. Um, maybe he has some kind of split change, something. But he's got to get something against lefties because they eat him up, and that's really. And if he comes into if he comes into the season with the same bag of tricks that he's had. It's going to temper my my expectations for him because he's going to lose a little bit in strikeouts going from NL to AL for the first time. And, and, we, and we don't and we don't know if if the the brief stint in sixteen was was real at all. So if right. he goes if he loses some off of his seventeen eighteen percent rate, that's that's really bad because it's already it a liability. Scott, it could be Scott Feldman all over again. Bingo, bingo. And, and and there's not a whole lot of use for that. So I, I no. agree with you there. Uh, keep an eye on him though because. If they see something, and, and you're right, if they're saying, okay, we can add a pitch here, we know what we can do to make this guy go to the next level here, uh, even at age 33, and we're going to get a 60% ground ball rate and a 23% strikeout rate, that's going to work well uh, if he's if he's actually doing something against lefties. Because even in that tiny stint last year, he still struggled with lefties. Uh, they had a 715 or no, 740, 741 OPS against him compared to 559 for righties. So even in the, the limited sample of decent work, lefties were still getting him. So Charlie Morton needs something there. I think that's a great call out. Um, I like your idea of, of a cutter maybe being the answer because the, the changeup, it's been in and out uh, in terms of usage. It's never really gotten the job done for Charlie Morton. Unless they change the, unless they change the grip on and go to a split change since it's already down there. But again, when the new pitch tracker starts, I haven't seen anybody talk about one yet. Uh, so I think last year the first new pitch I saw was December 31st. Um, so we got a little bit of time. But I, that's we, we something's got to change here because we've got a long history of him not being able to get out lefty. So it's not yeah. like a small sample size. I mean, we're talking um, 1,871 lefties faced over his career. Yeah, this, this is a career issue. Lefties love ripping up Charlie Morton. Uh, you know who they also love ripping up? Actually, I don't know. if he, I, I just wrote about Andrew Kashner, but I don't know if he, – he has a platoon split. It might actually be reverse. Let me – let me see where we're at with him. But he signs a one-year, $10 million deal with Texas. As I mentioned, I did write him up. I, I don't see it. Like, I, I've been a Cashner believer for years. You all know that. I've backed him. I've said, you know, listen, look at what he can build on from, um, what was it, 2013, 2014. I like that. Okay, even in 2015, he had a career high, or the league high OP, or, uh, BABIP. 
maybe some of that was bad luck. Let's give him another chance this year. And then after this, you know, just an utter disaster Mm -hmm. that actually got worse with Miami. That one little tinge, I was like, well, maybe it actually gets better there because San Diego's more neutral and Miami is still pitcher heavy. And you'll have both uh, Philly and Atlanta. I don't know why I can't say my teams today. You'll have those two teams, although, of course, Atlanta was amazing in the second half and actually ripped him for seven earned in one of his outings. There was just nothing in the in the profile to take away from Andrew Kashner's 2016 and say, this is what we're building on. So at this point, you're going off of the raw stuff and maybe hoping that, that Texas sees something that they can fix. Because I got nothing, Jason. What did you think of Andrew Kashner at one year, 10 mil with Texas? Because they are going to start him right away. We can talk about bullpen maybe, but that would be like a July, August thing. They need starters. They got him to start. What would you think? Yeah, so I'll go back to the G-chat you and I had on November 18th, and I started it saying, even you wouldn't do this, and then I copied the Andrew Kashner reportedly signs one year $10 million with Rangers, and you said, not sure how he finds success in Texas, and I said, not sure how he found $10 million. Um, (laughs) That pretty much sums up my opinion of Andrew Kashner. Uh, Getting back to, I'm trying to think of the other, uh, you know, Colby Lewis actually ended up doing, you know, Good in, in some sense Yeah, this is the kind of feels like okay. This is what this is what accentuated. This is what the starting pitching market is going to be like once Jeremy Hellickson pulled himself off and, and bet on himself with a qualifying offer. Andrew Kashner is getting ten million dollars. Uh, I'm waiting. I, I just saw a note that Johan Santana's trying to make a comeback, and I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you uh, if you can do yeah, it. Yeah, he this saw market. that. Please go ahead. Uh, exactly. Maybe Corey Lubke's going to score. Who knows? Uh, maybe somebody's going to sign Nate Evaldi, even though he's out for the year with Tommy John surgery because he's been waived. Uh, in hopes that he can pitch one game. I, I don't know, but it is uh, no. I, I don't want any part of this Andrew Kashner situation. We can we can bank on it if he gives me any more than 140 innings. That's gravy. But uh, it's just the names there, but the skills aren't. I finished it with a. Uh, he's got. He's in the prove it to me now uh, pool where he has to show something. There is no. There is no league. There's no depth of a league. I mean, there's a depth, sure, whatever. But the the standard leagues that we talk about, whether even 15-team mixers, which are obviously a little bit, bit deeper than, than 10- and 12-teamers, even on that realm, he's just not in the picture now. Make Andrew Kashner show you something. There are so many other guys you can take a gamble on. Go dip into the Colorado um pool at that point and, and bet on like a Tyler Anderson who nobody's really going to be on. I'd rather, I'd rather do that. I'd rather mess around and flirt with uh, near certain disaster in Colorado than mess with Andrew Kashner anymore. The, the one saving grace is if it doesn't work out as a starter, they put him in the bullpen and he starts pumping 96 again with the slider. You could see something there. But again, that's down the road. They got him to start. I think they're going to give him a, a, a real three, four-month sort of look and, and try to make it work unless he's just, you know, five, six ERA sort of guy. So move Let's on from Kashner. Let's go back to our old. There's no such bad thing as a bad – there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Yeah. Um, this is going to test that theory. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're not committed too long. Um, Trevor Poof. Was uh, I think it's a guy. You know, we've 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 had we've said some positive things about him. We do focus on you. You and I uh, are, are known to play AL only. Obviously, that's how you play in tout. And uh, we both have AL only home leagues, so I think we do our we are a little bit more AL centric. Also, our t- our two favorite teams are are AL, and so I think that leads us to talking about guys like Ploof, who are solid but unspectacular sort of bats. Gone. 
Uh, they went ahead and, and didn't didn't go for the – well, he's designated for assignment. I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that he's 100% gone, right? He was outrighted. But he strikes me as somebody who uh, who will who will get scooped up somewhere, right? He's, he's a plausible bat. He only played 84 games last year. I think that that was the problem. But he's always kind of lingered in that uh, league average realm. Uh, vacillating between like a, a 91 and a 110 OPS plus over his over his six years, um, unless you count the 22 games that he played in 2010, which I, I don't. So that, those are the six years I'm looking at are 2011 to 2016. Right. Add it all up, and it's a, a smack dab 100 OPS plus, which is league average. He has some punch. I feel like he can hang at third, but he also has messed around in the other corners, whether it's first, right, or left. Trevor Plouffe. Should you have a you have a uh, a fit for him? Is this somebody that that should be picked up uh, immediately, or is he just kind of whatever at this point? Honestly, I think he's kind of whatever at this point because defensively he's kind of been all over the place. You look at his defensive ratings; they're anywhere from average, slightly actually above average in 2014 to god awful in 11 and 12, god awful last year. Uh, you know, the batting average offensively has been the same. I mean, his, his career high batting average was last year and that's 260 and that's everything breaking right for him. And he's in 260 was it, um, you know, these types of players, especially at third base, he's only shown the power to, to play the corner two of the five seasons that he's been around. Uh, and when he had 22 and 24 home runs, I mean, I could see somebody taking a stab at him, um, perhaps getting into a better ballpark situation might help inflate some of that power. You know, he's not Brian Dozier and can't pull every fly ball out of the yard. That's good. You know, that's not an option for him. Um, Hopefully the situation, you know, playing time situation will clear up for him. But again, he's one of these guys where, uh, you know, the splits are an issue. He did more time against righties, drags his batting average down. I'd rather see him play less and be a little more successful in that way, but not a full-time guy for me. Yeah. I, I just, like I said, just wanted to bring him up because we do sometimes talk AL only stuff. That's, that's the best he could get. Or maybe NL only, obviously, if he goes over to the NL. I just don't see Trevor Poof really being somebody. The, the, the value that he had was he was, he was hitting for power when power was really down. So he was still kind of contributing there. 22 homers in 2015, uh, 24 back in 2012. Uh, now, even if he got back to those levels, you're talking low 20s homers. That's a dime a does. Like there were legit legitimately low twenties homers guys on the wire in 10, 12, and maybe even some 15 team leagues because 122 guys, I think hit 20 plus homers yesterday, uh, yesterday, last year. So 111, 111, like that's insane. And so I think that that really kind of curbs the value that somebody like a Trevor Poof can have. But you know, if he, if he lands in a great spot somewhere, we'll, we'll obviously bring it back up, you know, Colorado, whatever. So we can look at a couple of names. Well, we can look at a couple of places. So if we, if we look at the current third base depth chart, if Chicago White Sox do decide to sell off and they sell Todd Frazier, there's a there's a landing spot for him, which would actually be beneficial. Well, keeps him in the same division, keeps him in a puts him in a better park. Or move a Abreu, right? Because first base is an option too. I mentioned Colorado; right. that was for first base. Obviously, he's not pushing Arenado off. We're talking there's some first base potential here, but that also then raises his bar. Uh, of what he has to do to be a quality first baseman for a team. Now he'll be third base eligible for us in fantasy, so we don't necessarily care. But if he's going to be generating PT at first base, he's going to have to be a better player. So that could be an interesting one uh, with Oakland, the White Sox. Oakland's another spot that currently has, um, you know, they're always in flux. Yep. So it could be a spot there. Uh, possibly Atlanta. 
maybe on the as some as some depth as they keep trying to add different uh, different names, and, and maybe as that platoon guy that you're talking about, like when you some of these options that we're talking about, maybe they start to look at him as a short side platoon guy. In, in which case, then we're talking DFS viability. Really, it, it just it just you can't hold a short side platoon guy. <laughs> Uh, full time, it just it right. just doesn't really work that way. I could see maybe like a Mets trying to get him because Duda is is so um, sketchy with his health. But even if Duda's healthy, then you can work a platoon between those two. I don't know. You know that that that's a cheap. Uh, band-aid sort of option that's not really an impact bat that the Mets want but right. at least it's a righty they're, they're so lefty heavy at least it gives them a righty who does decimate lefties Milwaukee's the other place that came to mind too yeah uh, but our boy Chris Carter out there hanging out still still crushing the ball he's not a free agent is he is, they still he have is. Him? oh okay well then maybe that that changes it well plus uh, they added Adam Walker who is Chris Carter's long lost brother from another mother dude he so is Adam Brett Walker the third monster though if he i hope he just has that one dream season where he really connects for a whole summer because he can pop 30 without blinking like that's the kind of power he has but he also has another 30 uh potential which is a 30 percent strikeout rate so you gotta be careful <laughs> with his, the guy that's like that. his that's his floor or his ceiling as a 30 percent striker that guy just man so much no you're right us. that's his floor like that's probably <laughs> start at a 30 percent strikeout rate and go from there that's that's actually um unfortunately accurate for somebody like adam brett walker and probably even chris carter at this point as he gets older but uh that kind of curbs uh, that kind of is it for the news it hasn't Rash been a whole lot there was the 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 deal the Rays made the other day what what they moved Taylor Motter and Richie Schaefer for three minor leaguers. Oh, I didn't. Re- whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't know we were going to talk about the biggest moves of the week. I thought we were going to save those for a special episode. You're right. <laughs> That's massive. Uh, where did they move them to? I literally didn't. Seattle. I like Richie Schaefer. So Seattle's really trying to address that first base there. They also got Danny Valencia, who likely see time there. Is Schaefer a lefty? Uh, no, he is a righty. So you could uh, let's. You know, you could pair him up with Dan Vogelbach if you wanted to, if you look yeah. at the current depth chart and say, okay, hey, there's first base. But I think, you know, uh, what, what screams, what really stood out to me last year with Schaefer was, you know, he digressed in AAA last year. And then as bad as the Rays were last year, they did not give him playing time. I mean, no. I can see it's one thing if you want to give Logan Morrison playing time in August so you're trying to sell him on a waiver line deal. They didn't. They kept Morrison, and they still did not give Schaefer playing time. I mean, they were giving name it, and Schaefer couldn't could not get off the bench. Um, and that, to me, spoke volumes of what they thought. I mean, when you look at the, how the everything in front of them is shaping out, you know, they currently don't have a, right now. Brad Miller is the first base. If you look at the roster resource and say, okay, that's the opening situation. You know, down the minors, you've got Casey Gillespie down there. So that at that first base, as you try to work through work through some things and say okay where maybe Schaefer plays a corner outfield no that's not really a clear case either like I mentioned Jake Bowers uh, earlier before you're trying to figure out where to go um so it's like they don't have a spot for him so it's like okay gone and then Taylor Motter there there was some uh reports of him being uh uh, lack of a better term, a dick. Uh, so they were, and yeah, I, I spoke with somebody who confirmed there was some behind the scenes issues, which led to him being buried. And he too couldn't crack the field. Um, even after he got off to a good start and all of a sudden he couldn't crack the field either. So they, they moved that these are two guys. They moved to Seattle cause they had to be on the 40 man. And they got three guys back from Seattle who were not 
uh, 40-man guys. So it allowed them to keep some of the guys. Like in the past, they've let they've let Taylor Goodell or Tyler Goodell go. Uh, yep. They've let uh, Joey Rickard go, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on probably the, the more important. There's three different Rule Five guys. Oh, Oscar Hernandez, the catcher. Um, you know, there's three guys they've lost in the Rule Five the last couple of years. So this year, they kept eight dudes um, that they found roster spots for uh, along those lines. So that was one of the things they did. Um, yeah, eight did the Willie Adamas, Daniel Robertson, uh, Chiwi Hugh, the pitcher, uh, Austin Pruitt, Jamie Schultz, Hunter Wood. Uh, it was one of the uh, close guys, Jose Alvarado, uh, and Ryan Stanek, who I think could have some uh, impact in the bullpen. That's a Out guy, of the bullpen, hit, right? Yeah, he's one of the guys. Yeah, he's one of the guys that hit 100 in the radar gun this year. That Baseball America article talked about 50 or 60 guys that hit 100. Stanek was one of those guys, and I think he's a former first round pick for him. Yep. He's um, a they've been big grooming time him. Guy. But yeah, injuries have college. really gotten him, right? Like he was yep. a big college guy yeah, um, right in the South somewhere. Yep. There, Arkansas. Uh, so that, that he could be interesting. He, uh, so I think really could he's be got, yeah, I think he's got a, a, a future. I wanted him up last year uh, in September. That didn't happen, but I think he can make the bullpen out of camp. Um, thank God they cut Steve Jeltz. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I don't know what fans are going to do for too. souvenirs this year. Oh, they cut Dana Evelyn, but they signed him to Durham to a deal. So oh, okay, the, cock, okay. the cockroach lives on. Just, uh, you know what? There, there was, <laughs> since we're talking some of these smaller moves, there is one other move. I just don't know that it's going to be fantasy impactful, but I do want – I guess we'll bring it up. Uh, Brett Cecil out in St. Louis. Brett Cecil has – Great stuff. We love Brett Cecil. We, we were in on Brett Cecil before Roberto Osuna ended up taking that job. This was before Roberto Osuna was even going to be transitioned and, and become kind of the next K-Rod and start closing at age 20. But um, I, I, I trust Sung Wan Oh, so I don't – that's what I'm saying, not super fantasy impactful. But not only do we like Brett Cecil, we also like to do, do the thing in an NL-only auction or AL-only auction where you get one, uh, two $1 guys to kind of – Fill out the uh, back end of your of your pitching staff as middle relievers who are high strikeout guys. I could see Cecil really dominating out of their bullpen there. Any chance he closes, uh, or or is it just that? Give me sixty innings with uh, you know seventy five eighty Ks. Oh, he's going to be in my NL only team. I'll find room for this guy. I mean, when you look at over the last four years, he's got one of the ten best strikeout rates out of the bullpen. The problem is he's tenth. His his strikeout rate is 30.5% over the past four years, and that's 10th behind Chapman, Miller, Batances, Jansen, Kimbrell, Uhara, Allen, Robertson, and Sean Kelly. Uh, so that, that's that's where the bar is. I mean, back, the, shoot, five years ago, 31% K rate would have been, like, the best, maybe. Right. Uh, and now it's 10th. But the skills are there. Just what, what always derails him is he has one bad – Month, one yes. bad week, always, always and, he a bad relief, and he gets reliever to ERA, or he's got the job, and then he doesn't have the job. I mean, Ken Giles was victimized by it last year, too. I mean, Ken Giles bad just April. horrible April, and the rest of the season, he was Ken Giles all over again yep. uh, really for the really rest was. of the season. So it's just like with Cecil here, I mean, obviously the Cardinals believe in him. Four years, no full no trade. I mean, they, that they wanted this dude. Me. They yeah, wanted because... this dude. 
Because, so, you know, a lefty getting that, that, that's one of the easiest things to trade in season, a quality lefty. So the fact that they gave him 31 mil and a, and a full NTC, like you're saying, they wanted him. He's going to be their guy. Uh, you know, Segrist is probably, I feel like he's been around for a while, so I don't know how many more years he has. Um, you need more than one lefty, though, too. So maybe they're saying Segrist and, and Cecil, those are our guys. Yeah, because uh, Segrist isn't even a free agent until 2020. So they've got their two stud lefties in the board pen for the foreseeable future now it's not like cecil's old going into his uh, age 31 season correct all right well uh let's talk a little bit about some uh, some guys that i want to know if you want to bet if you're going to bet on a rebound here i plucked three three guys who were absolutely brutal this year uh, i was kind of going through looking at minimum 450 plate appearance guys you know because injuries are one thing and, and there were some injuries with these guys so it's, it wasn't completely that but betting on the guy who played you know who's an established star who played nine games and just was out to injury that's not too difficult anyone knows to say okay well that year was lost these guys played a substantial amount of, of time and still sucked and so there is a real question of okay well were their injuries lingering uh are they have their skills completely eroded where do we stand so i plucked three guys two outfielders and a catcher and i'm just curious how you're addressing them this year especially uh, on the on the heels of the offensive influx that we saw this year which of course you know makes them look even worse we'll start with alex gordon who over the uh who just this year had an 84 ops plus so that's 16 percent below average after a 118 combined over the last two years so that's what i did i looked at this year compared it to the last two years and, and, and kind of went from there uh to get these guys so an 84 down to a 118 he did have the injury ran into mike moustakis uh but even when he came back they're just it was pretty damn bland out of Alex Gordon this year. And I will say that even even when he was great, it wasn't uh, fantasy amazing. It was usually just like a quality player who uh, scored runs, drove in runs, chipped in some steals, chipped in some homers, was not carrying anything, but was playing every day because of that amazing defense. Where do you stand on Alex Gordon going to be age 33 next year? What I'm having a tough time looking over is that 29% strikeout rate last year. That was a Where did that tremendous come? jump. I mean, this guy's always been 19, 21, 22, and then 29, and he got nothing to show for it. I mean, if one thing, if you're going to bail out, you know, we've talked about the Marlon Bird approach to hitting, where you're mm-hmm. going to completely bail on being a contact hitter to sell out for power. That's one thing, but he didn't get anything for this. Absolutely nothing. I mean, it was his first time in, in – uh, in the past five seasons, he was an, an av- above average offensive player for five consecutive seasons. And last year, he was below. I mean, 85 weighted runs created plus, well, which puts him down there. So I'm, you know, maybe injury is part of that, and there could be some bounce back to the league average. But I, at 33, I'm having a tough time envisioning him becoming an above league average player again um, after being so low last year. I'm nervous, uh, and it's for the main reason that you mentioned there. You're talking about a, a 29% strikeout rate. The swinging strike rate was was uh, at, at a career-high 12%. He's out there flailing. It is a little bit worrisome, but I've liked Alex Gordon a lot in the past. Um, I don't see any way that when healthy, you know, they're, they're not looking to move him, right? They, they took the gamble of signing him, and, you know, after one season, maybe they should have just let him go. I don't even say that just because of this season. I actually didn't think it would have been a bad move if they did move on from Alex Gordon because 
you kind of got the best out of him. What do you really want with his age 32 through 36 seasons? Well, actually, uh, it's only through 35. There's an uh, option in, in for the age 36 season that's unlikely to be picked up at uh, 23 mil. Well, we'll, we'll see how he does. Um, I think because it will cost next to nothing, I'll have at least one share of Gordon. But this isn't a guy that I'm going to go stack a bunch of spots. A guy I didn't include because I just figured that we would just praise on him because we always do. We're like one of the last uh, couple that that still does. Carlos Gomez, uh, It just we just would have been redundant about how much we still w- would give him a shot. So I didn't include him. That's a guy I'm scooping late in a lot of spots. Gordon is maybe like a one-off that I might just to have one piece of stock in case he rebounds. Again, because the rebound is unlikely to even be extraordinary. Even if he reverts back to his 2014, which was 19 homers, 74 ribbies, 12 steals, 87 runs with a 266 average, that's good. But again, if the offensive environment stays the same as it was this past year, uh, then it's not that great. Uh, A 20 homer, 10 stolen base outfielder is just not that amazing. So... I'll have I'll have a share of Gordon perhaps somewhere, but I'm not I'm not bending over backwards to get him. Yeah, it's the same. All right, next up, unsurprisingly, I'm sure people were expecting this one once I brought up this topic. Jason Hayward, disastrous season. Um, played through injury and can kind of give him that break, but he's always seemingly playing through injury. So at some point, it's like, well, yeah, he was playing nicked, but when isn't he? Is this just a guy whose whose body is not going to allow him to necessarily play at 100% terribly uh, often? I, I don't think he had any DL stints this year, and he doesn't always go in the DL. He plays through it, so you give him some credit on that one in terms of just not running to the DL every time uh, something goes awry, but you're also like, well, maybe you should have this this past season in particular. Seven homers, 49 ribbies, 11 steals, 61 runs, and a 230 average. It was a disastrous season. The only thing that really kept him afloat was the defense, which we even saw on display in the playoffs. The defense has not waned for Jason Hayward. He is still a plus defender, which is going to keep him on the field, plus that contract, of course. That's going to keep him playing with some regularity. But is this a guy who can get back to even, again, Let's get rid of the 2020 season from 2012 when he hit 27 homers, 21 stolen bases. That is such the outlier right now, it's not even funny. Can we get back to 2015, 13 homers and 23 stolen bases? Which again, with all the power that we saw, 13 homers, not really moving the needle. You're more focused on the stolen bases and the 293 batting average that came with it. What's the outlook for Jason Hayward now, Jason? Pessimistic. Uh, I mean, he just doesn't. He's not making enough hard contact, rolling over on on too much of it. Uh, you know, one of the when you and I were out in Arizona, you weren't in the room when I was talking to a, an industry person about it. But this is one of the names that came up, and his opinion was he needs to start over from scratch. I mean, he has Absolutely. hit rock bottom. He's absolutely hit rock bottom. Uh, you saw it. I mean, he was, because I, I just said, you know, why was he in there versus Clayton Kershaw? I mean, that made no oh, sense. Oh, we went off on that one. Sign. We were uh, he goes, Yeah, he goes, it's just like he's hit rock bottom. You don't really know what to do. Uh, but the, the the swing looks messy, at least last year in 2015. You know, he's beaten, he was beating so many balls into the ground. And last year he, he got back, he got back below 50%, but he's still hitting too many, gra- he's still hitting too many ground balls. And then even the fly balls that he does hit, they're 
there's just not enough exit velocity off him to get it up there. Um, and that's ultimately my problem. I don't know how you rebuild a guy at this at this stage of his career, but this approach, uh, I've, I've gone back when he got hit in the face, and I've looked at that as my benchmark. And every time you say, okay, let's look at Jason's numbers since he took the fastball off the chin, and it's like a night and day Jason Hayward is just not the same guy as far as power. And I don't know if that's ever going to go away. I don't want to point to that as like that's the reason why. But this is this is somebody I don't want to share of. I mean, I'd rather like a, a Melky Cabrera. Give me that. I'll take that over him. Gordon, the guy we just talked about. Would you rather have Gordon? Oh, no, no, I'd rather have Hayward because at least he runs. Okay, yeah, the the running is the thing that I think will keep some interest in those late rounds. Uh, again, the cost is, is there. You're you're fine with the cost. He doesn't even need to be that good now that the cost has come down so much on Jason Hayward. That speed is actually a lot more intriguing even than the pop. Like I said, hit 13 in, fifth, in 2015, 11 the year before, 14 uh, back in 2013. So you're not getting a 20-plus homer season right now, at least not without – if he does rebuild it and he rebuilds it in the form of a, of a power hitter, maybe. But right now, your expectations have to be a, around a 12 homer and 20 stolen base sort of season, hopefully with a big average. I love Jason Hayward as a player, but I can't see a lot of reasoning to, to, to get involved. I don't know if I mentioned his numbers, by the way. It was 70 OPS plus this year and 113 the two years before. Um, Probably similar to Gordon, where I'll have one share just in case uh, of the turnaround. Uh, that kind of happens when you play a lot of leagues. But I'm also going to cut back my my league workload too, so I can't just be going out and and trying to get a little a little share of everybody. It just doesn't work that way. So Hayward is a guy who's really fallen on my list, and uh, there's not a lot to bank on. All right, did it, did it, did it, did it, breaking, oh, breaking news. news. Yes, what is it? Charlie Strong fired. Oh, I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> For those of you guys who don't know, Charlie Strong is a university of well, the former University of Texas football coach, and Paul had to happen. Modern. Had to happen, man. Listen, I'm not going to go too long on this. This will be our, this will be our football minute, uh, which we do every Sunday during the season. It just wasn't working, right? I, I, I said something about you know I called him like a mediocre coach uh, online for some reason i got a lot of push i was surprised that i kind of got some heat from some randoms i don't even know who these folks were but they were kind of all mediocre like what look what he did at louisville apples and oranges for one but he wasn't improving the 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 team was getting worse year over year and it just you know they got that win against notre dame which felt big then notre dame turned out to be the overrated frauds that they are virtually every year and so that cut into that win you lose to kansas you're gone. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best of luck. My, I could totally see a trajectory where Charlie Strong goes back to a smaller school. Um, I, not, you know, maybe a little bit uh, below Louisville because they've raised their stock with him and then sense him. Maybe drops a low level below that, has some success and gets one more bite at the apple of a, of a top school. And I'll be rooting for him to have success. I have no ill will toward Charlie Strong. It just did not work at Texas. And so Todd Herman, welcome. Because, I mean, that's happening, right? There's no way that's not. I, I don't know how it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I, as a, as a uh, speaking American of Louisville, conference guy, please get him out of the conference. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of Louisville, um, a big win for, for Houston over Louisville rebuilds Herman's stock because he had, he had lost a little bit of that glimmer. Although I will say here in Austin um, and, and around Texas, generally speaking, he, there was not really much shine lost off of Todd Herman even after the ugly – wasn't it back-to-back losses, I think? Yeah, one but the only Navy. reason about that is because there was all the rumors he was going to be gone. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like it was Kevin Sumlin and everything. Exactly. I see, exactly. folks, this is what happens when baseball doesn't do anything in the offseason. We have to, we've got to talk college football. we got to talk about college so, football. Sorry. Like, Sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, well, the, I, I wish, uh, the, at least wish the, the best. At least the winter meetings are coming up here soon uh, in uh, we'll start going. D.C. in National Harbor. Um, you know, that'll happen. But, I mean, honestly, it's got to be trades because free agents is going to be boring. It really there, is. There was a couple of years ago where there was a winter meeting somewhere. And like absolutely nothing happened, and that's what it feels like. This is going to be. We're going to maybe somebody walks into the National Harbor and falls into the oh water, God. looking at their phone. The water fountain guy. Yeah, yeah the I think water it was in Dallas. <laughs> the old man. Uh, I, I'll set it up briefly. The, 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 this big, maybe it was Nashville with that big giant Opry Hotel that apparently is very sprawling and difficult to go. Oh, around. it's impossible. I've been twice. There's this fountain there. Uh, it's not even like a fountain. It's more of like a pool, but it's low. Um, and this guy's just on his phone, walks directly behind the MLB set, boom, hits the little step there, falls right in. It is absolutely hilarious. But unfortunately for that winter meeting, that was the most exciting thing to have happened at that winter meeting. So I, I think it's going to have to be trades as well because there's just not a lot to, to move on uh, as, as, it, as it goes with the free agency market. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, I, think, I think we'll start – here's the way it usually goes, right? This week will probably be kind of dry because the the holidays. Then we're going to get two or three weeks of of hopefully big action right after Thanksgiving into Christmas. Another dry period with Christmas and New Year's right right next to each other, and then um, another big run in early January. So honestly, though these these three weeks upcoming, kind of uh, from about let's say the twenty eighth, which is uh, which is the Monday after Thanksgiving, to about the. Uh, I don't know, 19th-ish of, of December. That's th- that's usually when a lot of stuff can happen. So I'm hoping we see a bunch of trades. It keeps us flush with news so we're not breaking down the uh, the exploits of Andrew Cashner and Charlie Moore. No offense yeah, to either. I, I got one more baseball thing. I, I'm curious your thoughts. What do you, what what to make of the, the latest Eric Thames? Tim's, um, all Tim's, the discussion with him. Uh, with him coming there? back? Well... It's really interesting, right? Because we've had some of these guys who have come over from from Korea, and I believe that's where he was playing. Correct, and Jung an absolute monster in uh, Korea. He, by the he way, he was impossibly good, like crazy, crazy good. I think Eno and I talked a little bit about it. Thirty-seven homers and eleven stolen bases his first year. Then forty-seven, forty. Then the stolen bases went away. He went back down to thirteen, but hit forty more homers. So he's been thirty-seven, forty-seven, forty with his homers. Averages are through the roof. Stolen bases have been solid. Runs scored. Like he's been a superstar over there. Doesn't mean he's going to come over and be the same guy. He'll be age thirty, but can he come over and be an effective player? I, I mean, we like saw the rumors. We saw like the Tampa Bay, uh, San Diego, and Oakland were rumored to be like, I'm like, yeah, shocker. The three cheap teams are. I was going to say, right? I, uh, the, that is such a group that is so obvious, right? They're the trash pick. Uh, the, they're the trash pickers of the league. One of them will probably sign Trevor Plouffe, and uh, I, I would, I would want to see Eric Timms come back. I, I would, I want to see what happens with it. The dude is obviously uh, figured something out over there. It's an easier league for sure. But I don't think it means that he can't come over and find some success. We've seen Jung Ho Gung definitely live up to the success, maybe even a little bit more, or live up to the hype. Byung Ho Park didn't in his first year. The power was there, but not much else was. But then they also didn't give him enough of a chance. So I think he's an incomplete grade, whereas Gung is an A. I'd like to see what Tim's can do. I feel like he can come over and be a 25 homer hitter. I don't know if it comes with better than like a 240, 250 average, 
But what if there's a chance for more? Like, what if he's retooled himself? Um, and I'm, I'm not making a direct link, but I'm just citing a guy who, ha- who did retool himself, like a JD Martinez, who built himself back up. Uh, in the mold of Miguel Cabrera. I don't know if Tim's has done something like that or if he just took what he had here and went over there and dominated because it's an easier league. I really don't know the story, but if he gets signed, I feel like we'll get some more information on what Eric Tim's has done to turn himself into a superstar over there. He's something right. I would, I would keep on the radar though. I mean, when I, when I look at it from a Tampa Bay angle, if you pair him up with the Steve Pierce interest, then yeah. you've got, then you've got a DH platoon. You've got right. your strong because I mean Pierce's that's his calling cards hitting lefties and, and yeah. teams you don't or teams you don't want him hitting uh, lefties. And right now, if you look at roster resource, Nick Franklin's listed as a DH because that's what the depth chart looks like uh, mm-hmm. right now. So that is um, that's I'm just curious as you know. And in Tim's what, career, you know he had 536 plate appearances of a 754 OPS against righties. Right. And if you consider that was 2011, 2012, the offensive environment was lower, and a 754 really wasn't too bad. So if he if he grows commensurate with the league, and, and all of a sudden he's a high 700s, low 800s guy against righties, that's going to earn him a contract. Right. I read something uh, about him. He got he got a little bit of trouble in Korea that he had a DUI over there. But the DUI level is insanely low. Like if we think, uh, so like you a know, couple of mostly, drinks maybe. Well, like here, I don't know what it is in Texas. I'm assuming it's like 0. 0.4 in Texas these days. But in, uh, <laughs> in North Carolina, it's it's like 0. 0.08 or 0. 0.1. I, I think I think um, I think it's 0. 0.08 here. In Korea, it's like 0. 0.02. 0. <laughs> You said it's point zero two in Korea. Okay, so we're not excusing so a drunk you're driver. You're not excusing it, but basically, you could you could blow over a point zero two with one beer within an hour of driving. Yeah. So if he had two brews and gets popped, that's a heck of a lot different. So we'll, we'll call it a need more info on it. Just don't automatically assume that it's the same as getting a DUI here in the states, where you got to be pretty drunk, like. He he really, I, read, I think I read he blew a point zero five or point point zero four five something. Low. It would not have it would not have failed him here. It failed him over there because things are were uh, very low. Uh, their laws are more strict. Yeah. So just let's give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt until we know exactly if, if, if we're going to crush him. On I don't I yeah, don't care yeah. much for drunk drivers, but if it was yeah. if it was point zero four. That's a heck of a lot different than if it was like 1.2. Right. Uh, I have one more guy. Invested, I was going to say, somebody who invested in Park, I should be a little gun shy of him, but he intrigues me. I just, like I said, I've seen his name pop up a few times, uh, and he intrigues me uh, in single league formats. Not to the $17 um, that Park in, in, intrigued me this year, but t- uh, Tim's in, intrigues me. Does Derek Norris intrigue you? Oh, yes. Catch, catcher's ugly. Um, it's, it's absolutely brutal after the first three, four guys, Derek Norris had a 56 OPS plus this year. It was brutal. Um, and you know, his 106, the two years before doesn't, doesn't necessarily, you know, knock you knock your socks off, but it's 50, we're talking 50 points difference, uh, between the last two years and this year for, for Derek Norris. And he was developing into a guy who can hit you some pop passable average and was playing every day for the Padres in, in 2015. So, He's going to be 28 next year. Uh, they're kind of, you know, Austin Hedges is, he can't hit. Christian Bethencourt's moved out of the picture by, by switching the pitching. What do we think here? Um, I do like him as, as a, a bounce back candidate. I mentioned, uh, Hanselman's work earlier on the blueprint. He also wrote a piece on Derek Norris because he was following, 
Corey Schwartz and I were talking about catch and market, and Norris's name came up, and Corey asked a question. I was like, you know, that's interesting, and, and Jay jumped in on it and looked, and he was speculating uh, that you know some injuries, and there's two there's two years left to control on Derek Norris, uh, so it's like a, as a trade as a potential trade target uh, for the Rays to pick up. But it's the whole article talks about the different things, but you look at it, it looks like there was a, a injury factor here because uh, you look at. Uh, batted distance and velocity on fly balls and his balls and 30 balls in play trend, you can see a sharp drop and then it starts going up a little more uh, so you can see things and perhaps it was an injury towards the end. But he does intrigue me as a, as a nice bounce back candidate because there's a nice body of work beforehand. Uh, and so with his numbers being depressed as they were, that is uh, of the guys you've mentioned thus far, this is the one that intrigues me the most because he should come so dirt cheap at the position he plays. That's the thing. Like he is off the radar. It's not like Derek Norris was was drawing too many accolades before, and so the fact that he had such a disastrous season, I think that's gonna people are gonna completely punt on him. Um, you know, there's there's the high end, but then people are gonna be messing with the Yadi Molinas of the world in the middle, the Sal Perez, and then they're they're perfectly cromulent catchers there. I'll just punt. And, and, and take a Derek Norris super late, maybe pair him with a fake player like Tom Murphy. Uh, I would not pair him with a fake player like Tuffy Ghostwish. There's like I have limits on fake players, you know. Plus, <laughs> 14 homers uh, that he had in a hundred fewer plate appearances than 2015, and nine steals on a catcher. Like that, that's salvaging some value there, even though he only hit 186. So he was obviously decimating you with the batting average Derek Norris was, but your counting numbers weren't too bad with, uh, with 14 and nine on the homers and stolen bases respectively. So I'm with you. We'll actually be battling over, uh, over him if we're in the, uh, if we're in, uh, opposing each other in a league as opposed to pairing I up mean, as we normally year- do. Last year looks like the outlier. You see three year. You see the 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 partial season in thirteen, the fourteen and fifteen all look very similar. And then last year is the outlier. Uh, and you know, the, the, there's another guy whose strikeout rate really jumped. It went from so twenty right. to twenty four to thirty uh, over a, th- a three year stretch. But mm-hmm. if you know, you think about the wrist injury and, and whatnot, and trying to play. You know, obviously, it's when you see something fall off that much, it's either bat speed is gone. Or in, in injury, and in this case, this really does feel like an injury, so there should be some nice bounce back. And if you say, I think if you go into an auction and say Derek Norris $1, somebody's going to say 2 just so like, well, shoot, he's got double-jet power and he's actually the runs name. a little yeah. bit. Someone's going to need two catchers at that point, just like you, and they might say, okay, yeah, 2. I would you say shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to pay 5 not, yeah. not coming off that season, and there's a good chance where that could turn around and get you some money, uh, get you some profit back. And, and of course, if he moves somewhere, we'll, we'll assess from that standpoint. But even in San Diego, like I've already mentioned in this episode, it's moved to like more of a neutral park. So it wasn't the park. I agree with you. We're talking more injury than anything else. A healthy Derek Norris, I think, is still a viable catcher uh, and, and a viable C1 option if you're punting. If your strategy is to wait, then go ahead and, 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 and jump on somebody like a Derek Norris and pair him off, like I said, with a Tom Murphy or, or like a Cameron Rupp and uh, go low dollar catcher there just trying to get some guys that don't kill you and you hope that he doesn't hit 280 or 186 again 286 would be amazing uh that's it jason that's gonna wrap us up for for sunday sunday show um you get to go watch your your washington football club and i desperately need them to win to uh to win my confidence pool so if you if your clown team can get it going it would be a double if they don't beat those clowns that i as bad as the packers have looked that's what i'm saying man well and it would be a double 
double good for Paul because uh, I'm a Lions fan. So you know, keep keep pushing the uh, keep pushing the Packers further down the down the down the list there, and uh, maybe the Lions can help themselves this Thursday against the the Minnesota Vikings. Who they're it'll be uh, it'll be double good for Colette because I am in a a, a four person uh, DraftKings league with three other friends from Orlando, and I've got cousins Kelly and Reed tonight, and I oh, just need them to have it. I, I don't even have good numbers. I just need them oh, okay. not to completely lay an egg, and I win the money. Uh, just not so. to go like lose seventeen nothing or something stupid like that. Correct, correct. I, I think I need it's 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 setting up very nicely for me. But that's that's where I'm looking. Plus, I've got uh, UCF basketball is is taking on the defending champs tonight. Um, they have they have won. They have they are undefeated to start the season. They are playing Villanova in a tournament that starts at nine thirty tonight. It's in Charleston. If I didn't Whoa. have um, yeah, it's too much of a drive. Yeah, I need, um, I only need, uh, 20, whatever, I need 30 points from those three guys. That shouldn't be too bad. I'm going to end points on those three dudes. I'm going to end on a fantasy football complaint. If you, it, it, baseball part is done, if you want to hang up here and, and stop listening, I totally get it, everybody. But Kickers, on Wednesday, right? no, no, on Wednesday, <laughs> I traded Todd Gurley, $20 capable for an unkeepable AJ Green, $63. <laughs> And two plays, and oh. I get nothing. Like oh. fantasy football is the stupidest thing in the universe, and for some reason. Well, well since you've had Todd Gurley, you're pretty much used to having nothing. Well, that so that part actually <laughs> is a viable point, right? He's, it's not like he was delivering all that much, but my goodness, does it sting to uh, to do that? Because now, like an Alan Hearns or somebody's going to have to play regularly. So I'm pretty bummed about that. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll cap it here. Are you going to be good to go next week? I know it's kind of a holiday weekend. Is that going to affect you at all? Or are we going to uh, be good and next week? It's not going to affect me because I am in town uh, all weekend. I don't travel again until uh, going back to Orlando on the uh, 29th. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up here and we will be back next Sunday. See ya.